this. He's, he's a very, very methodical scholar, uh, um, Tufta. He just sits there and just puts down the strokes, very, very, uh, sits low in the boat, drives his legs, stays very low. You don't see him lift his body. Oh, it, looked, it does look very much as if Janssen might have made his play a little bit too early. He's shortening up even more, but he's fighting back. But look at that. Tufta has just gone right through him, and he's going to have to settle for silver because Tufta is away half a length, and he's right away now, moving at every stroke. But it is gold to Norway, silver to Estonia, and bronze to Bulgaria. Well, what a race. And what a burst of speed in the last quarter there by Olaf Tuftadan. And great, great tactics. It looked like he was going to make it there, and then Tufta came through with that fantastic final burst. Keep an eye out for the red boys. That's when it's inside 250 metres to row. Well, look at Tufta now starting to come, and this is the sprint that the man has. Mahi knows he's there. The big names are lining up, and it's been Drysdale, Cynic, and Tufta at major regattas around the world in the last two, three years. And the Olympic champion is getting closer to Mahi Drysdale, who's looking across. Can he sustain it? And uh, Tufta and Cynic are closing down on Drysdale. Drysdale's giving all he can. But Norway's going to get it. Norway's got in front of Drysdale. Norway's got their hand. It is back-to-back -back Olympic victories for Norway. Welcome to The Row Show. We are your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jay Green. This is a podcast where we're going to be going into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a bit about rowing. South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, crucial role in South Africa. Compassion. Great. Passion, fiction, gold, ultimate goal. Glory, relentless training, pain. Pain. <laughs> on the Row Show, we are committed to bringing you guys great content delivered through our interviews and on Instagram. So we are excited to announce our recent collaboration with Just Rowing who is leading the way on creating a better space for rowing content on Instagram and growing the profile of the sport. We can't wait to share our work together on the weeks to come and uh, we really hope you guys enjoy it. Hello boys and girls, ladies and gents, welcome to The Row Show. And This is Lawrence and Jake and today we have a very special guest on the show and he's one of the greatest rowers of all time. On the show today is rowing legend from Norway, Olaf Tufter. Olaf started rowing in 1994 and competed at the Junior World Championships two months after getting into the boat. Since then, he has gone on to have a rowing career spanning 24 years, where he has competed at six Olympic Games, winning four medals, of which two are gold in the single skulls. He has also won multiple World Championship gold medals, and he has his eyes set on his seventh Olympic Games in Tokyo 2020. Today, we catch up with Olaf in South Africa as he is spending some time here on holiday with his family. Our interview with Olaf was so epic that we had to cut it into two parts and this is part one and today we're going to go into how he got started in rowing after he got dragged into the boat whilst he was looking for some extra training for his motocross. His mental attitude to training and racing is also epic and he also tells us how he's managed to compete for so many years at such a high level. There's also so much more in the interview so you'll have to listen for yourself. And just some housekeeping from us. If you want any info in the show about anything we talk about or races that we mention, have a look at the show notes below. We really love doing the show, guys. And in order to keep it sustainable, we need you guys to help us out by sharing the podcast and telling your friends about us. Also, by rating our show and leaving us a review, it helps us make the show better for you and keeps us going. 
We'd also like to just do a quick shout out to Dorman Ant for leaving us our first iTunes review. Whoever you are, you're a legend. And to everyone else, please be more like Dorman Ant. Cool, that's enough of us babbling on. Let's get into the show. Alright. Cool, let's get going. Uh, welcome to the Rose Show, Olaf. Thanks. Yeah, and welcome to South Africa as well. My, uh, my second home for a few years. Very cool. So, I mean, you've been coming to South Africa for quite a while, hey? Yeah, I think I lived in South Africa more than one year of my life, so I've been around. Yeah, and is that just, have you been coming here to train mostly or holidays? Uh, altitude training, okay. that's the reason. Okay. So we've been living more or less in Belfast Yes. Uh, all the time, so I haven't been driving around at all actually, just Belfast, that's the place it is, and a coffee in Dalstrom now and then, <laughs> and maybe a day in the Kruger Park. and. Back to training. Okay, so and but just Ugo. No, 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 on the water. On the water there. Okay, yeah. I've never tried. Oh, no, we, we don't. We don't usually go out there. No. Ramon was Ramon and Don was there before. Before they went, but then they went to Bethlehem, and now you guys are in uh, Lesotho. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to Roger, and he wanted us to come to Lesotho as well. Yeah, it's such a fantastic place, it's but it's it's quite hard to get there though. Yeah. Because it takes a long time. And it, there's nothing there. It's very remote up there. It's good for you, so you can focus on rowing. <laughs> yeah, no, that no, is it's good. perfect. Exactly it's perfect, and the need. water there is so good as well. Not chasing women and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe some listen to women. So let's get into into a bit of training, a bit of uh, and racing. So, what does performance mean mean to you? That's a two sides of that question because if you ask me 20 years ago I would say racing and racing hard that's all that matters but I think now after 25 years in the game I think performance for me is the build up until the great race yeah so the whole year really or the whole four years or the ten whole four years, years or like trying to figure out the plan how to build the body back up and how to actually um, fulfill the complete rowing in exactly that week that the Olympic Games is going on. When you're 20, you can, you can go as hard as you want every day, it doesn't matter. But as the age comes along and your life is more than just rowing, it's all about build up and find the, the best rowing of the whole circle at that one week. And I think that's what I find the most fun the last couple of Olympic periods like managed to build up and just nail it mm. I think one one really impressive thing is that you've been able to uh, keep competing at such a high level for such a long time in terms of the training side of things what things do you see that you need to be more aware of with as you get older um, I would say um, rest which is probably my weakest side I don't like to rest. Mm. I like to do everything. <laughs> uh, so, um, for me, the most important thing is actually to get away and be on camp. So, Lesotho would be perfect for me. Yes. I would love the place because nobody could reach me, ask me of anything, and I couldn't go anywhere to have speeches or do new ideas. The trouble would be that on my days off in Lesotho, I would make so many plans <laughs> that. <coughs> I would do new things when I get home. That's how I work. But for me, just getting away from everything 
and I think that's why I like Belfast for example we didn't have internet in the start no TV just train rest eat and yeah that's that's what I like very cool and then what are the the most important months of the year for you then I mean if you're talking about the whole build-up is important but then are there like crucial times before the racing now I would say that um, the 11 months before the championship is important the way that the first months you build up um, your endurance and stuff like that and then you have the time and endurance and strength and then comes start to speed up and stuff like that so I wouldn't say that this month is more important than the other one because if you're going to build a house you got to build it from bottom up so yeah. every session counts yeah and every day yeah yeah for sure <coughs> and obviously Norway is quite far up north um, what's what's it like training in the cold weather because I mean in South Africa we don't really ex experience really cold weather we you know we can row the whole year round you know what changes do you make when <coughs> winter comes along do you guys usually go away on camps yeah w we try to row as long as there's no ice um, that could be New Year, it could be October, depends. Um, but then we go to Portugal, for example, or I went to Belfast um, all the way until Christmas and then we start again rowing in late February, early March. Um, but I actually think it's a bit of advantage that we actually go out of the boat. Because in, in 12 months you get a bit sick of going in the boat and row, row, row. But when you go on the erg and you do a lot of erging, you, you start to miss the boat. Yeah. <laughs> looking forward. So when we go on the water, okay, we missed some technical issues um, the last couple of months off the boat. But you're eager to, to get moving. So I think the first couple of months in the boat every year, it's really good because you're really eager like you're 19 again just want to go fast and you you try to solve everything as fast as possible but when you get tired of rowing and you're like you have to go in you just you do it and you do it okay okay good enough but good is not good enough <laughs> if you want to win so i think it's okay to to change a little bit so you don't get stuck and get tired and then do you do like cross-country skiing is, is that like a way of training yeah that's really good training you can go for so many hours um and we, it's we hard know, hey yeah it's like rowing if yeah. you row hard it's hard if you're yeah. easy it's easy <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh it's like uh, in norway more or less everybody skis um uh in in europe more or less everybody skates on their skis skating is good um but we figured out that if you skate on the skis you use your legs and your butt so much that if you jump on the erg afterwards you kind of kind of finish but if you do classic you don't use your legs that hard uh, so you can you can ski for a couple of three hours jump in the erg and have a perfect session okay so combine and make the sessions longer and work on the endurance is perfect so we often also go to altitude training with skis and okay. bring the ergs okay that's a perfect match yeah that is that does sound yeah. like it's going to like quite a lot of fun it does because i mean here in south africa we we i mean we don't have much snow there, i mean where i live there's quite a bit of snow but 
we things like uh, cross-country skiing are very foreign to us. <laughs> yeah. So it's always interesting to hear how um, other countries um, use this as to help but with their training. But I think yeah, rowing-wise, is like um, you can you can always row, but you can only you can only row a certain amount of hours and yes. kilometers a day because it's not a really good position yeah. to be in. Um, but if you want to be a really good rower, you you need a lot of hours endurance. So it's all about combining what can I do to just make my heart pump for as many hours as possible. Yeah, we do a lot of cycling. Cycling is perfect. Yeah, because uh, cycling can can be easy enough if you're smart enough on a yes. bicycle. So you can just get your heart pumping. Running is okay, but not for that long period because yeah. rowers hardly built for running. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> more like the lightweights. Elephant running, yeah. yeah. So you kind of crush it, but cycling you can eat, you can drink a lot all the time. Yes. So um, cycling and skiing, I think it's really good for for endurance for the rowing to build up. But it, <clears throat> but I also like to train everything else like swimming, running. My background was motocross, which is really good, but a little bit on the edge. Injuries, but everything with uh, a little bit brain and it's okay. Yeah. But yeah. for me, if, if I only do rowing, I would probably quit. Uh, I mean, rowing is good fun, but only do rowing when it's so many possibilities to do it. And I love to learn from other athletes, just train together afterwards. I would go and train with skiers, wrestlers, whoever I can get a hold of, okay. which is good guys, just to get into what they're doing and try to pick some brains and learn some new techniques, stuff like that. And then if I find something which I think is like, wow, this is really good, then I bring it to my my training the rest of the year. Okay. And so motivating to to see how other people train, how they think. Well, why we sitting here having a yeah, chat. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, we got two eyes, we got two ears, so we can actually see and hear a lot if yeah. we shut the mouth and follow up sometimes but some people they like to talk too much they hardly learn new stuff they only <laughs> talk about what they can mm. but it, for me watching other people and train with them is I think I, I really fancy it that's also why I travel sometimes around the world and I train with Mahe yes. I train with uh, Andre with Eastock with Ramon just to see what are they doing. But in rowing, we're more or less doing the same things. So yes. I mean, somebody rates a little bit higher, somebody do a little bit more intensity, but... At the end of the day, it's very similar. It's not too much uh, yeah. magic. And in terms of the other sports that you've trained with, have you picked up, can you, well, can you tell us some of, um, are there any insights that you've gathered from maybe some sports you've trained with that aren't automatically inherent in the rowing world? I think I um well I pick from everybody. Um, I can say that um, rowing is quite far in front in so many ways. Um, impressively, actually. Um, I think maybe the the thing we have a lot to gain on is um, is food-wise, especially uh, us heavyweight, because we train so much, we just put everything in. We eat what we see. So, mm. so like I have a seafood diet. Yeah. Um, lightweights are much better because they have to be cautious about what they put in. But we 
we fat bastard we just eat yeah um yeah. so i think we can not that we would we wouldn't maximize so much uh, i think but we could manage to rest better um we could uh, probably uh cope better with the long sessions if we was thinking a little bit more what we're putting in so mm. more space for the really good stuff not only the tasty stuff um and resting yeah i mean the uh, the background i came from in, in rowing is like you train hard as hell and you didn't say anything and then you go home and you do some work um I see that now we, we start to have more individual training, which is good in a way, but I don't like it when people are individual 12 months a year. Yes. So in the build-up, everybody does the same and be a team and push each other. When you start to get closer to racing, then split up a little bit and, and do what's best for you and you to be as good as possible that day in big team boats is, is harder. Um, I think this is also a place we um, can learn from other sports, but not too much. Because <laughs> huh. then, if you have an eight and eight people, you're starting to have too many opinions. Yes. You won't be a team. Yeah, it's going to be a chicken chicken farm. Yeah, and yeah. I guess you could say you start to change what makes um, the <clears throat> the formula so good in the first place. Yeah, and you start taking away instead of giving um, giving things towards the the sport. Yeah, but a little bit respect that. Everybody can't train as hard as the they one would guy. like. Yeah, if you if you take me for example, I I can go. F when I was young, it didn't matter how much, how long, how many times. Full speed all the time, but then you have like my partner from uh, Rio, Shetil, which is built totally different with so much more um, um, X factor in his muscles, so he could jump to the roof <laughs> and he could sprint like hell but he cannot suck up the hours I do. So if I bring him along on all my sessions, then he wouldn't be rowing fast in the boat. So he can he can go with me for a certain time and then I have to respect that, okay, so he's done. So I have to finish up by myself. Okay. And maybe do the second session by myself because I want this guy to be good shape. Yeah. No, that's, that's very interesting because um, we, if for, is, for instance, if Lawrence and I were rowing in a pair, we would be doing all our sessions together and you would be expected to do all the sessions. Yeah. Um, but from what it sounds like, you, there are, like you said earlier, there are certain things that an athlete can do and there are certain things that different athletes can't do. So when you when you train in the, the, the double with your partner, do you guys have, um, I'm taking it obviously you have the same training program, but um, are there certain individual things that you guys do separate? Yeah, we have. During the week, the, the coach would probably put up at least two sessions with assess individual. So if everybody's good shape, we'll do the same program. But if we're not, it's opening for you rest and you go two and a half hour, doesn't okay. matter. Um, but also, um, when we go to the weekly program we got, so we go out and say like, so okay, Tuesday evening, uh, Thursday morning, Friday morning, that's the key sessions. So we want, for example, both of us to do the whole session. So what can we do? So maybe the one guy have to rest a little bit more before that session, mm. so he can actually go through the whole session instead of jump off halfway through. Mm. And also the build up on the session. I mean, if you have 12 times four minutes and you jump out the first first piece, 
you're dying after five of them yes. and mm. number eight you go in and the next guy he was smarter so he wanted to do 12 and you sit there and like what the fuck <laughs> i'm feeling great yeah and now i'm supposed to push yeah so how to communicate and build up to the best for the boat and best for the team yes i think that's um we are getting better and better at it yeah so i think in in rowing generally i think that's uh an advantage and, we and can have and has that been like quite a shift because i mean you've been rowing since 94 so obviously in the beginning it was it was a bit more amateur i would say rowing at that point yeah and you then you shut up and you do what what the coach says yes nobody nobody bends off and yeah and then now they're like the science really coming coming in in the last what, yeah. eight years or so because i remember um, on my way to for example athens i think i we killed six six seven athletes because <laughs> they were trying to do the same as i was doing yes. and they did it even harder than me to try to cope up so i was training more or less as we should and in front and they were doing like level one two three higher than me just to cope and they totally died and the coach was like okay come on no no second session up yeah mm. 20 case go on <laughs> so they never managed to recover yeah so now i was just gonna because we're starting to speak about about the double um olaf you spent a lot of time in the skull and we will get into that um what was it what has it been like shifting into a, a double with a partner um i can imagine it's it's quite a different process especially after tra- uh, racing by yourself for so long it must be a new and well still a new experience of racing with someone else well thankfully i've been in in team boats before mm. so I, I was brought up in four quad doubles um learning from better boys um for me i think it's it doesn't matter which boat i'm in as long as everybody in the boat do as good as they can and when you hit the rhythm and you get the feeling doesn't matter how many is in the boat because it's the the feeling of moving that boat fast on top of the water that's that's the magic Uh. yeah it is and the bigger the boat it's actually the more magic yeah because it's more and more people trying to fit in yeah it's very different the two like a a crew boat to a to a single like they both have such unique challenges yeah yeah I often I often discuss this with um, with uh, business people because I have so many speeches, and I have this picture of the Great Eight, the original Great Eight, and I said, well, in this boat is 35 Olympic and world medals, so if I take eight of you directors, and you have your own companies, and I put you at the table and give you one case, how long time does it take before you start work together? And I was like, oh, it's not going to happen, never ever. Well, in this boat is the eight biggest egos in rowing world. Is eight different languages, eight styles. We use about fifteen seconds before we start to work together, and we are we have bigger egos than any of you guys. Mm. But we have one thing common. You want to win. We want to win. <laughs> so and in a way, the win we have to we have to make the other one greater. So if I make you good, you will make me better. That's the only, it's the only way to win. Yeah, and it's the only way to get those eight people on one page. Yeah. So when I, so when I, um, train with somebody else or find a new athlete, I want to train with and learn from. 
I try to make him as good as possible because then he will make me better so when I'm in a double with a new guy whatever my my task is to help him to row better and he will help me moving the boat even faster but if I only do it by yelling and cutting his head off he won't move mm. but if I manage to build him up and I also listen to what he says and how he rows and if I can learn something from new guys coming into boat I'm really happy mm. it's um, that's what I like about team boats like listen to the boat listen to the guy feel and and try to communicate and see if you actually have the same picture and not only the picture of rowing but also the feeling pattern how is it supposed to feel so when if you agree on how it's supposed to feel then we come a long way yes because then you can actually sit and say yes that's a good catch yes feel the boat stretching up going away then you can actually start to talk rowing in the boat yes that's smooth and I think that's probably the best strokes you'll, you'll find during your career is on training yes no, I also think so um, and then I also I also think that in a, in a small team you get that quite a bit because in like a big team you're trying to climb this ladder and the ladder has got a lot of rungs in it whereas like a small team like us and maybe your, your team as well where you're getting in the boat so when I was joining the team then I was often rowing with Ramon and with the older guys and that's where you learn so much I think and then you get that chance to to learn how how other people feel feel the boat and other people that have done very very well and and the fun part with that when you're saying that yes for you coming into boat with a guy the level is so much higher yeah. you your learning curve goes straight up but the thing is that that old guy he will learn so much as well yes just by teaching you how to row, he will repeat what he actually does. And when you look at people teaching other people something, some of the first things they they start to talk about is the things that they're struggling with themselves. <laughs> it's quite funny. Yeah, I, it's I get ironic. myself so many times by attacking the juniors and start to coach them things that I'm working on because yes. I'm not good enough. So that's fresh in my head do this do this <laughs> swing over straight arms it's it's kind of funny but then um, it's like when you study if you just read what you're supposed to remember you read it once but if you actually if you write it so you read it you yes. write it you read it again and if you're smart enough you actually read it out loud so we hear it as well so pop you got it five times coming in yeah mm. so <laughs> so speaking about the feeling and what you're doing and how you're doing it you get so many sensors getting no, back to it just helps you, you uh, be, become a better athlete yeah I think so but I think humbleness is the key mm. yeah because then you you stay listening to other people and not just worrying about yourself if you got a if you got a new guy coming into the boat and you just cut his head off immediately and said this is the way my way or the highway you're not gonna it's not gonna work you won't get anything from the junior mm. and you'll just sitting there and he will hate you and he won't do what you say yeah but if you let him probably talk a little bit and so I try to say like okay so tell me what you're feeling what you feel can you can you feel this and then let him speak up and give him the confidence to actually grow a bit 
and you will have so much coming out. It's really nice. It's, um, then the issue is when when people think they are really good, and they start to argue and get back at you. Then the humbleness suddenly disappeared. Yes, and um, I take it you've experienced quite a lot of that over your career, because I mean. A sport, you—it's notoriously known for having uh, arrogance and people trying to think that they're the be- better than others. I mean, it's inherent in what we do. We think that we're the best, hence why we race every day. Not, uh, not um, too recently, but <coughs> sorry. Um, I like to think. Sometimes I actually think as well. Um, long bike rides or sitting on my tractor, then my head starts to spin around. But what I noticed, because in Norway we're a small country and a lot of us train together at the Olympic uh, Center. So you kind of you train with the best downhill skiers, the cross-country skiers, biathletes. So everybody's there so you can learn from so many good people. Um, and what I noticed in sports and in business, is like the best guys, the top, top notch, they're the most humbled and curious guys you'll find. But the number twos, that's the most arrogant pricks <laughs> you find, and they will never win. Yeah. But the best athletes are the one who listens. They put up the questions. They look at you and are really curious. Yeah. Like and a when sponge. they when they talk, they, if you didn't knew the guys, you're like, are you actually good in downhill skiing? Because it sounds like you have a long way to go. Yeah. And that's that's quite common in all sports. Some sports are cocky, doesn't matter what they're doing, they're cocky anyway. But in endurance sports and stuff like that, I, I think the best guys are the most humbled. And I like humbleness. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that actually goes to show um, a lot about what makes a successful athletes successful. Because, I mean, humbleness isn't your first thought when you come comes into mind, when you think about... Um, people that are, are winning at a world stage, people that are at the at the front of um, you know routine and training and technique and things like that. And you wouldn't like you wouldn't no- and you wouldn't notice those people when you when you meet them if you just bumped into them yeah. in the street and you had a chat, then you wouldn't notice straight away that they're not going to tell you straight away. It's quite funny. A lot of times people. Um, talk to me, I don't know who they are, but I come up and I talk and blah, blah, and then they come and say, well, he seems like a decent guy after all. And I was like, yeah, well, it's, <laughs> what happened? Like, because they heard that you might be arrogant or high on yourself and whatever. I said, well, just talk to me and find out yourself. Mm. I'm like, I'm not going to bite. But yeah, I am looking down when I'm walking the street. I'm not flagging myself going down the street and I'm sorry if I didn't wave to you or nick my head or whatever but it's I'm, I'm the guy who is actually shy mm. so I don't like a lot of people I don't like having speeches I'm getting used to it but I like to be around my closest friends and my family and maybe by myself and just do my thing so I'm not going to go with my chin all, all up in the sky mm. so Going on to onto your racing, because obviously you've been racing for for so long, and we need to we need Too to long. chat about uh, some of these mm-hmm. big races. So your first Olympics in the four, and then then into the double, and then into the single. How was that? 
how did that transition happen from racing in the crew boats to to finding out that <coughs> you have some speed in the single? Um, well, it's kind of funny because I, um, first of all, I wasn't supposed to row at all. I was doing motocross, and then some guys from my my town, my club, came to my farm and asked if they could uh, drive because they bought a bike, and. The way it went was like um, we didn't have enough money to go full-time motocross so I had to work on a farm and do some motocross and stuff like that and they came up and we became friends and okay they were rowers so we agreed that I have to train in winter something else the rest of the motocross guys goes to, to southern Europe and drive I have to earn my money so I had to be home and work so I went to the club and Went with them uh, on the org and whatever we do, uh, weights, circles, everything like that. And after three weeks, I, I kicked a sheet at them in, uh, on the org. And they're already national team juniors. And the coach was like, whoa, you have to roll. I said, no, no I'm, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> this is good training. So it's perfect. Um, so it ended up he, he, he managed to get me in the boat for three weeks. So, because he needed me to, to win the nationals in a four, because he missed one guy. So, 2nd April 1994 was my first stroke on the water. It was ice on the water, it's freaking cold, and I flipped around. Oh, um, in the ice. In the ice. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you. Must have been unpleasant. Three breaststrokes, and I was on my way down. So, I was quite happy I had a boat beside me. Oh. That's cold. That's scary. So you trained on the ergo and in the gym before you even got on the yeah in the boat. Yeah, Yo, that's that's not a usual Mm-mm. a usual start to to anyone's rowing career. No, and I was uh, I was almost eighteen years before I sat in the boat. And then you went from learning how to row to juniors that same <coughs> year. Yeah, but but for me it was the the big luck for me it was like the three other guys was junior national team yes so I sat with the best immediately yes so my learning curve went straight to the roof um, it didn't look good but I managed to pull and so we won the nationals and then ended up going to Scandinavian Open and we wasn't supposed to win but we did so we went to junior worlds um, so I've been running two and a half months I think and ended up in the final <laughs> so it's kind of kind of hooked you and I, I mean when you yes. that's good in that short period you kind of okay maybe I should sniff a little bit more in this rowing stuff cause <laughs> yeah because it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not too bad um, and then um, I, I kept training I started another school and kept training and I wrote technically like shit probably but and then Frank Hansen uh, in 95 he he was coaching the senior B uh, quad and I started out by losing um, single skull senior by maybe 40 seconds and in during the the summer I managed to get up to maybe only 10 seconds behind the best best ones so they created a, a quad and suddenly he called me and I said can you join in because I need a need a fourth guy with some power uh, so we, we try you and the guys on the on the national under 23 team they were top 10 in Norway all of them quite good so kind of went quite quick to learn how to scale properly in that quad uh, we actually got second that year and again back to school working and fooling around with the, on the erg 
and pulling new numbers. And then some bosses called me uh, in November 1996 and said like, well, um, we're four with three guys, we're missing the fourth. We want to do Atlanta in a straight four. Um, you want to come? And I was like, well, uh, do you actually, what's, what's the idea? Well, no, it's not, a, it's not a big thing. We just, we want to see if we can manage. And Frank Hansen told us that you have the power and you've been in the four in 94. So you want to try out? So we ended up doing a budget. So I left 1st January to, to um, Banyolos, the Olympic course. And I think uh, the whole budget for the whole year went away on in two months. Uh, <laughs> but we, we ended actually up qualifying that four from rowing like shit. But a Russian coach trained us really hard and we qualified and we managed to get eight in Atlanta. In yeah. And you have seen the races for the fours in 96. That's the sickest race ever in fours. She says a lot of good races yeah. in fours. And we were, we were a little bit more than a canvas away from making the final. So it's um, quite a good uh, run actually. And then I uh, did a military, two operations in the knee and back in the quad, but I was already then picked out to the team because they saw the potential. Yeah. Um, 97 was, yeah, just recover, coming back. I was in the quad in the vaults, but we fucked it up. Um, in 98, I won everything, uh, all the tests. I was age 22 and I score highs on everything. Um, the guys I compared against was Stefan Schettel, who was number two in a double in, in Atlanta. So I beat him in everything and still the coach didn't want to let me try the double. So I ended up putting me back in a four and I was so pissed because I think a few of the guys in that four was pussies. They, they, they didn't dare to have pain. They were so big, so strong, we can go fast, but they didn't dare to go through the pain, pain wall. <clears throat> so I remember after 98, I was so pissed off coming home from the vault that I told my club coach that next year, I'm not going to be in that big team boat. Next year, I'm going to be uh, so good that the rest of the team will come up and ask if I can roll with them. That's going to be my target. So again, I crashed everybody 99 winter and ended up in a double with Frederick. And I think Frederick is um, probably the, um, the rowing person that learned me the most in the boat. He had such a good technique. He won the Junior Volts 93 in the single. And he had such a good feeling for the stroke and how the boat should run and stuff like that. I didn't, I just pulled. <laughs> but he managed to get me to follow his his circle, so he learned me a lot. Ninety nine was was uh, quite okay. Two thousand was also okay, and we finished up in Olympics doing the best race we ever had. Uh, even if we got beaten by Slovenia, was they were better, no doubt. They always beat us by a second or second and a half. But um, I'm happy with doing our best race together ever. Somebody else beat us. That salute. Salute to them because they were better. Yeah. But we had our best performance ever, and I think that's what it's all about. That's mm. definitely what it's all about. Yeah. Um, and then your 
your partner that you got into the double with was he the first person that started teaching you things about uh, the because I mean when you start rowing things like the feeling the run you know what the catch sounds like what a good mm. catch feels like these things you don't automatically learn when you start rowing was he the first person that kind of showed you and taught you um, the kind of second element to the rowing stroke I think so yeah because he was the only one who could actually explain what I was looking for or hearing for <coughs> normally you you learn to catch together with the other guys and get out from the water together mm. and let the boat run okay. yeah so put it in take it out and try to pull but then he, he, he started to um, explain what I should feel on my toes when I getting up to the stretcher and catching the water and how to let my legs go without pushing too hard wait for the boat you'll feel the extension of the oar and how the boat actually stretches out and when you get the feeling and then you feel how the boat let go the, of the force and let your power get back in that's when the boat's gonna release and go so when you just on that can you call it the, the force wave force is just enough and you give more force exactly when the boat let you do it then you will have the nice exploration and just let the boat go yeah it's so smooth so but rowing is all about just catching the catching the speed, not take the speed and stop it and try to re reinforce speed. Yeah, yeah, it's like if you if you had a bike wheel and you were hitting the bike wheel. Yeah, that's exactly what I say. You don't grab it <laughs> no. and then flick it. You always want to just keep it. You have to come with it, it, grab it, and then yeah, it's the same mirror, same picture I use. Yeah, when no, I talk about the wheel. Yeah, yeah the yeah. coaches here like telling us that because I also when I started rowing, I asked them where they picked it up. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably somewhere. Yeah, because actually, I think maybe it's from Ramon, so from yeah, you maybe via, could via, be. Yeah, could no, be it, it's the a the good fire. picture. Yeah, because when you have that wheel spinning around, and if you grab it, you stop it, and you need more force to get back. But grab it in front with the speed, and send it. Because mm. yeah. that's that's the whole idea about rowing. Because you go against the speed direction. And have to catch it up. Mm. So, the less you disturb the boat, the better. For sure. And Frederick, was, he was an expert in just catching the boat. And yeah. then did did he retire after two thousand? Yeah, he. After two thousand, we had like Frederick and me in the double, and then we had a four. <coughs> and all of them jumped out. So at age twenty-four, I was the oldest guy in the team. Poof. And I've been ever since. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I remember in 2001, um, I was talking a lot with Frederick about this. He was out in Oregon and helped me a bit as well uh, on the rowing and technique and stuff like that, um, together with the coach. And I remember I, I yelled at him for a whole year, you bastard, you cost us the gold medal in the double because we would have won that, that year in the double. Yeah. So I was like, you lazy bastard, you cost us the goal, you cost us the goal. I, I, the last time I said it, it was the day before the final in the single. <laughs> you bastard, you still owe me that gold medal. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And then getting into the single, just, I mean, you just had a really quality, <clears throat> from 2000 to 2004, you had a really, really good run in the single there. Yeah, that was, for me, it was, uh, 
just fun just pull as much as you can and try to remember what Frederick and the other guys try to teach you and listen to the coach and I think jumping into the single the communication with the coach was one of the big keys mm. I actually had to talk more about what I felt from the boat what I was doing um, and I I we, we have a saying in Norway which starts to be actually quite famous because people call calls me and ask did you say that can I use it because I said that um, in 2004 I said like I have the best rowing coach in the world but it took a long time to get him there <laughs> that's fantastic yeah because it's my job to make my coach good because if I don't if I don't make my coach good he cannot make me good mm. so I need my coach to learn as much as possible from me so he knows how my body works how my mind works because when I'm on the limit before a big race starting to losing things or maybe I'm so, so tired I'm not sure what to actually do then he knows yeah, so and he, he needs to know that he can't be learning it that week he has to yeah. know this from, from way back so that's my job as an athlete to make my coach good or make my partner good so um, and that's that's quite an interesting yes long run but I think that the dynamic between the coach and the athlete is is so crucial and, and yeah. I think a lot of people a lot of teams struggle to get that right yeah. and, and I mean like when you're in a, in a crew boat it's easy because you make a team with your with your crew and then your coach is on top uh, leading you the, leading the way but in the single must be a little bit you must communicate yeah <clears throat> and then we also um, I start to pick up uh, quite a lot from the physiology and stuff like that because I'm always curious yes uh, <clears throat> and I remember saying um, when we went in single early that year I, I said to my coach that um, I want to be top shape in the world championship like really top shape so I think that means that I cannot be top shape in Lucerne and world championship mm. I can be I, I can get above water but then I have to go down under so because in, in my head you can only have peak performance every six months everything in between is like small peaks yes. but if you want to have the big peak you can you, you need a few months in between so I said I'm willing to be in the final four three two five as long as I know that I will be even better shape in the world championship yeah. so this is what we have to work on so then we start to experiment a little bit on the training um, when did you guys come into rowing when did you start to see international rowing I started seeing international rowing 2014 oh okay 2008 as okay. my juniors so as long as you've been along you've seen rowers cycle at the rowing area all the time yeah yes in 2000 there is no bikes <laughs> in 2001 there was one guy by sitting on the, on the on the rolly in Lucerne and everybody else was watching like what the fuck is that guy doing <laughs> cycling no 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 we run in the flip-flops 10 minutes and then we jump in the boat and then we race <laughs> now everybody cycles yeah mm. and that stupid guy that was me <laughs> so I I I picked up that 
I didn't believe that um, the warm-up was good enough. So running 10 minutes and that's it. So I need to warm up longer um, and cooling down much longer on bicycle. Um, every training session, because I, I went to Belfast and train altitude training. So I did my piece 18 to 26K on the water, grab some food, hit the bike and cycle for at least an hour. And then I was done. So what I did after a hard session, I was cooling down for such a long time and eat. So the, the food and drinks, they was processed and start to recover my body. Because mm. um, you recover faster from active recovery than passive. Yes. And then I had a big lunch <laughs> and rested. But then I didn't have to use half of second session to, to recover and then start to and actually yeah. train. So yeah. I was more ready. And then I got more hours more endurance, more blood. So I I think I increased my, my training from maybe 900 hours to 11 and 1200 hours from 2000 until 2004. Okay. Mm. By a lot of endurance training. <clears throat> but I also in the years before 98, 99, <clears throat> I totally changed the way we did weights in Norway. Of course you had old rowing, East German style of training weights, but I was at school in 94, 5, 6 and until the Olympics I was more or less on, on school beside. So I was training a lot of weights, I thought it was fun. So And I was quite strong from all the labor at, a, at the farm as well. Yeah. So uh, when I got in the national team, I was stronger than all of them by doing deadlifts and squats and chins and whatever and they couldn't understand why I pulled away <laughs> on the erg and stuff like that and then after a while they like well okay so maybe we should look at this guy what, what is he doing well he do deadlifts maybe we should do deadlifts mm. now everybody do deadlifts mm. on the team and for me one of the um, in, in the big races I managed to sprint quite okay in the finish and some of that is in the head, but some of it is also strength. So I, I pull quite okay scores on, on the lift. And deadlift is three quarter of a stroke. That's quite good deadlift yeah. position. So if you if you manage, you can do it. Yeah, I think this this next question will be quite a uh, an interesting one for both of us in terms of uh, the this the weights training. How I mean, yeah. How how important is the weights training for your rowing? If you want to learn how to row properly, you look at lightweights. And they don't need too much weight training because they row with what they have. The issue with heavyweight rowing is that we try to row with what we have, power. Yeah. Mm. Pure power, no technique. And some of us manage quite okay. And then we try to develop technique. Um, uh, Julian Baha, Bahi, I don't know how you pronounce actually. Julian. Yeah, French. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a friend of mine. His last name is terrible to pronounce for me. <laughs> but anyway, Julian said it's really good when, when he talked about French rowing. He's like, first we teach him to row, and then we teach him how to train. Because if you do the opposite in his head, you teach him how to just pull hard. Yes. And then they will always fall back to pulling hard instead of pulling smart. Yes. And I think that's 
actually quite good philosophy. Mm. I ended up pulling hard and managing okay and then I start to develop my technique and I think still my technique is not good enough so I'm always feel that I'm behind schedule but the philosophy of, of strength is like the stronger you are the less percentage of your maximum power you have to use to do a stroke so it would be easier in each year um, but again you need the endurance to actually pull your weight yes that's that's easy physiology mathematics mm. um, so if if you're strong as a beer and you got um, endurance like a marathon runner you're quite okay yeah mm. then you can work on your technique but you have to you have to uh, take care of your strength as well otherwise um, some of your stroke will fall apart because you're used to having this strength and stuff like that so that's why I'm out this year. I don't want to compete. I want to rebuild my body, all my issues with knees and backs and all that shit. And start from bottom up with strength. Build the strength up and then build back on. And But keep rowing so I don't lose too much. Mm. And so far I've been doing quite okay on the, on the strength part. Um, but I believe that if you put in the right period of the year and you have a you have a good plan strength is good mm. but it should not get in the way for good rowing yes because if you, if if you for example you 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 like to train weights because you're good at it and then you eat some creatine to to build more muscles and more power you will blow up and you will feel that you start to get too big in the boat and then you start to lose the feeling because you can't get the reach and the feeling and you start to pull harder. So it's a really, it's a balance. Mm. And I think um, you have to do your experience. You have to fail and then you have to see, like, okay, what's what did we do? And talk to somebody who's been there before. So what do you think? What, did, what was wrong? What was good? And then after some years you will start to know that this is this is a good thing for me and this is smart coming from the coach and we build everything together because um, again if you don't dare to learn to fail you won't succeed maximum mm. yeah of course and that's a wrap for part one of the Olaf Tufte episode I know that was quite abrupt but we gotta leave some of the good stuff for later yeah be sure to look out for part two next week where we cover some more epic stories from Olaf, as well as his incredible races, and especially how he shocks the boat in his sprint finish. And of course, the answers to our quickfire questions. Once again, please share the show and rate us. You can also go follow us on Instagram, where we post some of our behind-the-scenes actions and some incredible selfies. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, and we're out. Cheers. You're still listening. Don't know what you're doing with yourself, but get out of here. <laughs>